Welcome to Welcome to the Gun Show. I am joined by Garrett. Hey, everybody. And Tarek. Hello, everybody. And we would like to welcome a very special guest tonight. Um, we're going to discuss how to keep your gun soft and flat. We're going to discuss the best recoil spring for your gun. Uh, and we're going to discuss the importance of shooting at least 2,000 rounds of live ammunition every week. Otherwise, you will just suck. Um, so we are very, very glad to, to welcome on the show the podfather himself, Mr. Steve Anderson. Welcome, Steve. Thank you very much, Tarek. It's my pleasure to be here. We're also going to discuss the optimum holster angle for any situation. We're going to get all these things covered. <laughs> we, 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 may have, we may have to cut that. <laughs> Dry fire advice, really good holster advice. <laughs> so steve i think that you have been our most requested guest since we started right. we've been going for nearly a year and people keep asking when are you having steve on the show and we keep going uh one day when we think we're ready to have him on the show. <laughs> well i appreciate that abash that's that's very kind and uh south africa is officially my second favorite country and it's always a treasure to talk to you guys always a treat no, we appreciate it. So for those of you who don't know who Steve is, um, I, I don't know how that can happen, but uh, Steve has uh, a very well-known podcast, That Shooting Show. Um, and if you're not listening to that, you really should be. Um, he's authored three books um, titled Steve Anderson's first book, Steve Anderson's second book, and Steve Anderson's third book uh, on, on dry fire. And if you don't have those, you need them. Um, and he's a international jet-setting firearms instructor who flies around the world teaching people how to shoot good. Uh, so if you haven't listened to Steve's show, um, do that. It's much better than this one. Um, and uh, hopefully tonight what we're going to do is just chat to Steve about about sort of his his trademark dry fire stuff, Van Halen, and, and whatever else he has time for. Sounds great. Can't wait. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, sh- yeah. Sorry, T. No, go ahead. Steve, do you want to just uh, give everyone the sort of elevator pitch about who you are? Um, sure. Jump into it. You can choose the three-minute version, the 30-minute version, or the three-hour version. Probably ought to go to the three-minute version. Mm. We'll let you pick, that. but that one sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> Sure. So I was working in uh, record stores. Uh, sure, you guys remember places people would go to buy records and compact discs. Um, Jay Beal is right now Googling compact discs so he can get some idea. Of <laughs> but uh, and I got robbed by a guy with a K-Bar knife. And everybody knows what a K-Bar knife is. It's Ram- It's Rambo's knife. And the young man tried to cut me and I pulled a, a massive you know, the, when you watch the cartoons and the cartoon characters make themselves all bendy so they can't get hit by the whatever. Well, that's what I did. And uh, th- the young man got caught and he did 29 days of a six month sentence for aggravated menacing. And when he got out of jail, the prosecutor told me to get a gun. That was my best my, my best idea. So we weren't my family wasn't anti-gun. We were non-gun. I was raised by Christian music teachers. Guns just weren't a thing for us. And when, you know, nobody was hunting. Uh, so I got to the gun, uh, you know, so I got to the gun and, and started going to the indoor range and practicing. And by the way, when you're a new gun owner, there is nothing more terrifying than working the decocker on a Smith and Wesson 5906. You know, <laughs> you think, please tell me this isn't going to go off. How is this possible? <laughs> um, so I started going to, going to the indoor range and shooting and I'd shoot 200 rounds, um, of nine millimeter every, every Monday night. 
primarily at a, at a soda can tied to a string at 25 yards. And then I decided I was spending too much money on ammo. So I bought a, a little Beretta 22 model 87. And now I'm shooting 200 rounds of nine and 500 rounds of 22. Cause that's how it works when you get a 22, right? You save ammo. <laughs> um, so now I'm shooting 700 rounds a week, just trying to get proficient. And they invited me to this bowling pin match on Friday night. And I was like, well, this sounds great. I was expecting it to be really hard because I'm practicing literally on a soda can on a string at 25 yards. I get there and these bowling pins are at 21 feet and I came in second place in my first match. And they said, well, if you like this, you should come shoot Steel Challenge. What's Steel Challenge? We'll just be here Saturday at eight. So we went and shot that and didn't think, could, didn't think life could get any better behind a gun. And they said, you should come shoot Ipsic. This was actually before or right as USPSA was you know, forming. Mm -hmm. Um, you should come shoot Ipsic. What's that? Just be here, just be here Saturday at eight, you know? And I shot my first stage. I shot every target twice, including all the white ones. Every, every white target got shot twice. It's not very good for your score, but I was hooked. Absolutely hooked. I uh, was shooting a Beretta back then, had switched to a Beretta. And then shortly after that, um, I bought a used Caspian open gun and made Grandmaster nine months later. And that's when the first book got written because everybody wanted to know. I was the first grandmaster in Ohio. Everybody wanted to know what, you know, how did you make grandmaster? And I had these little 12 drills on one piece of paper that I'd just give them the paper and explain it to them and off they went. Well, I got tired of giving it away for free. And so the first few, there'll be several people listening to this that have the very first one that I made at Kinko's. Y'all ever had Kinko's? No. No. Uh, cop, copy stores now it's like FedEx office you have to go oh, yeah, yeah. Copy okay. stuff. like a post right, so, yeah. yeah. so I actually went and made it myself um, I'd go to I'd go to Kinko's in the middle of the night and make the books and ship them out then it got a proper cover and then a very strange thing happened I went out of town and I got beat and I was like I have I have a card that says I'm in the 95th percentile this is not possible how could I get beat Right. So this is my discovery of the mental game. And my second book, Principles of Performance, actually has an interview with Lanny Basham that I conducted simply as a ruse to talk to him because I knew he wouldn't talk to me and I didn't want to give him a bunch of money. I, I had this massive problem that's not worth a dime to solve, you know. So I called him and said, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm writing a book. Would you like to do an interview? He goes, absolutely. And all those questions were designed to ask him, how can I win if I don't believe I can beat my competition? And the answer is, you can't. So he told me to quit the sport. He said, you either need to quit thinking like that, or you need to quit the sport. And the irony of it is, I did wind up giving him a bunch of money to get certified to teach his mental management. Um, but that's, we'll talk about that in a minute. And then I went on to write my third book, Get to Work, which seeks to return it to simplicity. Because when we first start shooting, shoot the targets. That's all you got to do. And then it gets really complicated. And we struggle and struggle and struggle. And then, then eventually the light bulb goes out and we realize, shoot the targets. Right? So that's the three-ish minute version. I, I think I covered most of it. Oh, and uh, I, I realized that I really enjoy helping people reach their goals. Um, I've never been an ultra competitive person. I always liked to win, but I was never one of these guys that had to win. Um, again, Christian music teachers are not necessarily known for drinking the blood of their enemies out of the skulls of their ladies or whatever, you know, however the phrase goes. <laughs> but not, a lot more not famously known for that. <laughs> yeah. 
lot more hugs than Viking deaths. Let's just put it that way. You know? <laughs> and I just, I really enjoy helping people. And when, when people are in a place where they want to get serious about this, I believe we can save them five years of struggle. Easy, you know, really, really easy. And a lot of my clients are older. They don't have five years to struggle. So it comes in really handy. You know? <laughs> Shortcuts are good when they work. But yeah. possibly a, a, a peculiar and, and, and difficult question, Steve. You, you're, you're kind of famous for the, the, the mental management guy. You're, you're famous, you know, the dry fire guy. But, you know, when people, when people talk about you, it's, it's that side of things. And it, it's kind of unique. You know, m- most other shooting instructors, their, their entire business is, is based around teaching you how to shoot. What, what attracted you to that as opposed to hanging out your shingle, just going to the range and, and shooting 3,000 rounds in a weekend back when you guys could buy ammunition? Well, it really got started because I didn't know if I was doing it correctly. So you'll notice refinement repetition doesn't have a lot of technical advice in it. It doesn't say you must stand this way. You need to hold your gun like this. Um, I figured all that stuff out through sheer repetition. Um, and I just, I really didn't feel qualified because what I was really afraid of was putting out refinement repetition and having Rob Latham. And I don't know why it was, it was him specifically. I was really worried about having somebody, Todd Jarrett or anybody go, this book is stupid. <laughs> it's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. And it's all wrong. <laughs> you know, I was really afraid of that. Um, cause again, I didn't know if I was doing it right. I just knew that doing these things had made me a grandmaster in nine months. Um, and technique comes and goes like the, the drop step that's so famous now that I call the Filipino kick out. Well, I was at nationals the year they invented that, right? Nobody had ever done that before. Mm-hmm. And so now we have 30 people doing drop steps every place they can find to do a drop step, even though it may not be the right, the right thing. So techniques come and go. And I, I've changed my mind about a lot of techniques over the years, but the principles of scoring more points in fewer seconds, are those never change. Um, and just about anybody can give you some technical stuff that may make you a little bit better, but I'm the guy that can unlock it on competition day, because if, if you can't do it on demand and if you can't do it under pressure, you may have wasted all that time practicing. It's frustrating. There ain't nothing worse than practicing more and shooting worse. That's really frustrating. And, you know, we've all been there. Absolutely. We have all been there. Uh, something interesting that you said there, Stephen, maybe we can, we can, go down that road a tiny little bit was uh, I have a technique. I just learned a technique. So now I'm looking for places to use my new technique instead of focusing on, on match mode and doing what I need to do to score more points and less time. Uh, I'm, I'm focused on doing this one thing. Sure. We saw that in the class when I, I attended your class uh, two years ago or something like that, where guys were doing the drop step specifically and they were looking for places to do that. Nothing else. They were setting themselves up for a worse target order, harder exit, uh, only to, to implement that technique. Um, and I think you got that out of them rapidly where the, this, is, this is not helping you. This is making things worse and more complicated and more difficult. Um, Could be, yeah. In that instance, so, it was. It might not always be that. Um, so my, my favorite example is... Uh, when we came to the shocking conclusion in the early days of the Brian Enos forums, the Brian Enos forums used to be an extremely polite place where only the most serious shooters in the world would, would trade ideas. 
very different than your average forum. It's a little different now because it's we we have so many more members. But back then, you'd be, you know, having a conversation. Well, here comes Rob Latham. Here comes Ben Stoger. You know, and they'll just chat away. And we we had came to the shocking conclusion that when two guys are the same speed, the guy that scores the most points wins. Shocker. I know. Isn't it crazy? We figured this out one day. <laughs> and then I just, I decided that Max Michelle had the perfect setup. We were, and then the next thing we did was we started talking about entries and exits. That was our next obsession. Okay. And I'm watching, uh, there wasn't a lot of video, but I was able to see some, some setups of, of Max Michelle and I had the perfect setup left foot in knee bent. It just, absolutely perfect for a 25 yard headshot. And I used it all the time. I used it on three yard targets. Here I come for my perfect setup, my perfect grip, my perfect stance. And my buddy Kyle tried to tell me, he goes, dude, you're setting up too hard. And you know how you have to hear the right thing at the right time from the right person. Well, that wasn't my time because I got upset. I was like, I've been practicing this a bunch. And some people are not particularly good at explaining to somebody that doesn't understand that like, like they'll say the thing. And if you get it, that's great. If you don't get it, that's, that's on you. Well, I'm the opposite. I, I explain things until somebody understands it. And that was actually the beginning of my discovery of speed mode practice because I was working on my setup and it was, I was stuck. I had a little triangle set up. I'd run to this corner of the triangle, shoot a piece of steel, run to the other corner of the triangle, shoot a piece of steel, and I was stuck. I was running fast as I could. And then I thought, you know what? I'm not gonna worry about my feet. I'm gonna get that gun up there and I'm gonna pull the trigger as soon as I see the target, regardless of what my feet are doing. And my very first run, I shaved two tenths off with a miss. And that was literally the day I discovered speed mode because I was so excited that I'd save two, uh, two tenths. I didn't care about the miss. Most people in these sports would take a miss, write that off as a failure and go back to doing whatever they were doing before. But I was super excited. Then I thought, okay, all I have to do is do that again and get a hit. And it worked great. And that's when I discovered that I don't need to hit the target or I don't need to make hitting the target a requirement for learning. And that's, that's more or less speed mode in a, in a nutshell. You know, if we know we can hit a 10 yard target, we can do that on demand. Then we don't need to prove that over and over and over again while we're getting faster. Absolutely. And that's quite profound when you hearing it is one thing, experiencing it in an actual class with you is something completely different. Um, we were doing those, those really wide transitions and you're like, don't put them in the heather zone. <laughs> but beyond that, push as hard as you can. And the speed gains for everyone in the class was phenomenal. Yeah. Um, that that makes me feel like a magician. Like I actually carry myself a little bit differently during that portion. Like a, I'm like a carnival barker. You guys know what a carnival barker is? You have, you have, you have the wrong country. <laughs> You're going to have to explain it. <laughs> uh, carnival barker. Uh, come one, come all, children of all ages, come to the greatest okay. show on earth. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You probably call it something to do with a donkey or a danky or a dinky. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but, probably. But, but during that part of class, I know what's getting ready to happen. And I'm so excited. Like somebody will do that transition out of the holster and up in a 0.7. And the class goes, ooh, 0.7. And I'm like, <laughs> wait till somebody does a 49. <laughs> But I love it because that's that's an example of something that 
people may have heard before, like they may have heard, I need to get my my head or my eyes out in front of the gun. But until you experience in about six minutes how dramatically you can decrease your transitions, maybe we don't, I don't know, maybe, maybe we don't realize how beneficial that could be. Or maybe we go do, do something a little bit more exciting, you know. But the thing you got to watch about speed mode is if if you are out there practicing, it doesn't matter what it is, and you're having a bunch of misses, but you're excited about getting faster. Nine out of 10 people are going to think you're an idiot. And eight out of those people are going to tell you to your face, right? Um, Todd Jarrett tried to give me speed mode years ago when, when like one of the first issues of our, of our uh, USPSA journal ever put out. I read this quote from Todd Jarrett where it says, if you're not missing in practice, you're not trying hard enough. And I went, Tarek, I wish I could do, I wish I could do the voice. You may have to, you may have to do this back in your voice. Right. I was like, this guy, Todd Jarrett, he's an idiot. He's telling me to go out and practice and missing. Right. <laughs> here I am this, this little, you know, probably I was probably a class production back then. And here I am think I'm smarter than Todd Jarrett because Todd Jarrett dared to say that if you weren't missing in practice, you weren't pushing hard enough. Well, that's speed mode right there. Right. Exactly. I just extrapolated it a little bit. It's probably one of the hardest things to get your head around. You know, it's one of those things that's quite easy to understand or quite easy to talk about and go, you know, if I want to go faster, I need I need to kind of find out where the limit is by going past the limit. You know, I've, I've got to push. I think for a lot of people, though, it, it's, it is really challenging because we, we've, we've spent most of our shooting lives trying not to miss things. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's... It, it it makes perfect sense, but I think why people struggle with it, my, I find myself struggling with it from time to time, is that is is that you, you understand it intellectually, and then you don't hit the thing you wanted to hit, and you go, "Oh, I made a mistake there." Yeah, I'm, I'm being PG. So that's where dry fire is, is is so beneficial. In in dry fire, the misses or the deltas they don't sting quite as bad. And the other cool thing is it's phenomenal shot calling practice because when you're doing something in dry fire, nobody but you knows whether the hit was acceptable and we're a little less likely to be judgmental of them uh, in, in dry fire. And it, it, here in the States, there's never been a better time to double down on dry fire. Um, but yeah, it, speed mode is just, is just one of the things that, that I learned that can save people a ton of time. The old saying in the States used to be, it takes 10 years and a million rounds to make master. Well, I politely disagree. You know, I did it in nine months. I made Grandmaster in nine months with nowhere near a million rounds of ammo. Now, probably a million reps of dry fire stuff, for sure. Probably a million reps. And before before regimented dry fire was a thing, maybe it did take a million rounds because I promise you I had a million reps, for sure. I mean, I, I know for myself, it, it was probably you who introduced me to the concept through, through, through the early days of your podcast, of, of dry fire being more than just sort of getting a perfect sight picture on the TV and, and snapping the trigger at a politician you don't like. Um, because I'd be I a lot of snapping around here. <laughs> <laughs> we know that. Uh, it's about the same here. But mm, I think that's uh, – I think that's and, – and I think there's a lot of people who, are, who still have that sort of mindset that that's what dry fire is. It's maybe drawing and having the gun go click once. Uh, yeah. And, and I mean, we've seen with Gaz, um, who's been very talkative of this show, as he normally is. Um, 
the, the results Gaz gets because of the amount of dry fire. You know, Gaz live fire is a reasonable amount, um, but the amount of dry fire kind of shows in the results. Um, sure. I mean, well. so for so for me, people say that that dry fire is boring, and I I suppose I could understand that, but this happened when I bought my first open gun and I literally thought, I felt like I had been given a lightsaber, right? Now, if somebody gives you a lightsaber, are you ever going to stop playing with that thing? <laughs> Never. And I couldn't yeah. put it down, you know? I was like, you know, because my my whole life, my, my parents always got me, like, if I wanted uh, a skateboard, right, a really nice skateboard, well, I got the cheapest skateboard that there was. Right. And if I wanted a nice pair of jeans, I didn't get Levi's. I got Lee's. I don't know if you guys have Levi's and Lee's, mm -hmm. but I always got I got what I wanted, but I didn't get what I really wanted. Mm -hmm. And when I got that open gun, it was like being given the greatest possession I'd ever had. The irony is that gun was 10 years old when I bought it and was already obsolete. I didn't care, you know, um, and I just I, I just wouldn't put it down. And dry firing three, four hours a day, it felt like something I got to do instead of something that I had to do. And that's, that brings up what we call the rage to master, you know, Eddie Van Halen was notorious for telling people he didn't practice, but his wife would tell you, he never puts the thing down. He just, he was just playing. He didn't think of his practicing. Yeah. I think that's, that, that's a big part of it as well. You know, um, Dry fire can be considered boring if we think about it from that perspective. But if we're really interested in our shooting, we're actually getting more from dry fire for our shooting. Um, and that, that's sort of going to tie into my next question to Steve. And that's going to be, you obviously progressed through that dry fire phase of how that assisted you getting to the GM. Then you went through a phase where you had the interview with, with Lenny Basham. And from there, now recently, you pro uh, if, correct me if I'm, I'm wrong, but I think you're at the moment the only accredited action pistol mental management instructor slash coach. That's correct. And I don't know if you want to tell people how you sort of went from where you were to deciding to grow into that mental side more because it's not something that we hear a lot of in the shooting sports. You're probably the only one who's ever really spoken well about the mental game and made that a primary part of how you assist shooters in developing their skills further. Sure. Well, my discovery of, of the mental game came when I could win anything in Ohio, but nothing outside of Ohio. And that doesn't make any sense, right? This, this was pre YouTube. So just imagine a world without YouTube. Okay. We had, we had dial up, and if there was a picture you wanted to see, you better pick a good one because it's going to take 30 minutes to show up, you know? <laughs> so, everybody knows what we mean without knowing. We'll just infer that joke. It'll be fine. So <laughs> we didn't know what grandmaster shooting looked like. And so unless you went to nationals and watched it for yourself, you could look at the scores, but you'd never seen it before, right? And I thought I was pretty good, but I go out of town and I get beat for the first time because now I feel pressure. For the first time in my career, I feel pressure. I feel the pressure of travel, the pressure of the extra expense, the pressure of my my first wife being there and trying to impress her. And, and pressure is interesting because it takes a thing we can do really, really well and makes it seem like we've never done it before. And I actually know what causes that. And guess I hope I'm not getting too far off track. I don't think I am yet, but, mm -hmm. but, it, but it could happen. 
what is it that makes the pressure of a larger competition make us feel like we've never done this before? Well, when we lack confidence, we lose our subconscious skill. Okay. This is the reason why if you go to a job interview and you're worried about it, you can't even make a complete sentence, right? You ask out a pretty girl who you think is out of your league and all of a sudden you forget both languages, right? The lack of confidence is what causes you to lose subconscious skill. So we've got to always be maintaining and increasing confidence. And I didn't understand that until I already, until I already got certified by Lanny. I mean, I, I understood self-image, but I kind of dismissed it the way everybody does. Oh yeah, self-image, that's important. You know, but your opinion of yourself has a lot to do with your performance. And uh, what I love about the mental game is it, if somebody is willing to do the work they can get really, really good, really, really quick and place really, really well, pretty early. Um, and everybody says it's important, but, uh, Lanny and I share a joke and I don't, I'm not trying to name John. Lanny and I share a joke, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, let's just, let's just call Lanny and tell our fabulous joke. Like we do. Um, if you know, I was, I was but, telling Eric, Eric the other day, how I hate name droppers. Um, uh, <laughs> Hey, it ain't a name dropper if it's in your contacts, bud. It's just the truth. <laughs> so the joke is, okay, if if your shooting budget's $10,000 and you just told me that the mental game is 90% of it, you're going to write me a check for nine grand so we can solve that problem forever? You know, people talk about it all the time, but they're not willing to do anything about it. And if they go just practice more with any kind of a mental problem, they are literally doing sit-ups for a head wound. Oh no, I've got this grievous head wound. What should I do? I know sit-ups. It's literally what they're doing. Gaz, did I answer your question or did I get a little too far off there? No, no, you answered it perfectly. Oh, thanks. And that's I, good and, for my self-image. And if we continue <laughs> on with that, <laughs> well, that's good. Uh, so if we continue on with that, you had a, a very good grasp of the mental game and how you taught it to me two years ago before and I'm sure that Tarek and Cornet had this very same or similar experience when they took classes from you two years ago before you were certified by, by Lanny and Mental Management Systems. What did you find that that system that you, you got taught or, or you went on that course with Lenny and then what did you find that did to enhance that system that you were already teaching even further? Is, has it given you some more gains in how you're teaching people? Maybe you're seeing people learn things faster in your classes how has that assisted you? What we find is, or what I learned primarily when I got certified was the self in, the self image. I hesitate to say it's the most important, but it might be the most important, right? Meaning if I go do something I've never done before, I have no, being a waiter would be a, would be a great example. I've never been a waiter in my life. Okay. But I promise you, I could step in as a waiter and do a phenomenal job my very first day. I promise you I could. I'm good with people. I can I can tell funny jokes. I can bring their food. I might make a couple mistakes, but they're going to have a great experience. So that confidence would overcome zero experience as a waiter and zero skill as a waiter, right? The other wouldn't be true. If I went to training for one day of waiting and I dropped the, dropped the glasses on the ground every time and had no confidence, technically I and the the main thing that it's changed is it's changed how we do the classes a little bit. Um, like like if you remember, we would shoot the first stage and then we'd, we'd 
hey, that actually wasn't my dog noise. Um, <laughs> that's good. That's, that's very rare. We would shoot the stage and then I'd go around and everybody list their regrets. What do you wish you'd done different? We don't do that anymore. We've completely abandoned that. We have a totally different way we look at that now because that's what everybody always does. They, they shoot a stage and they immediately talk about their regrets and their failures. Well, what that does is that removes confidence. And I suppose that's, that's been the biggest change. And then with regard to what I was teaching, when I got certified by Lanny, um, and I, I probably told this joke when I was doing the presentation, I'd been teaching match mode, analyze, strategize, memorize, visualize. So I go to learn Lanny's official system and I'm scared it's going to be different. What if it's different? Right. And it's exactly the same. So the, what, what you get from Lanny is a little piece before that and a little piece at the end that both go to self-image because your opinion of yourself has a lot to do with your, with your performance. And Lanny believes that your opinion of yourself and your performance are the same. That's interesting. Interesting. Yeah. He says self-image and output are always the same. That's, I, I mean, I believe that. Because I've seen that. It's just never been put into those words before. Well, for me. What's really tough is the next level. And Gaz, we don't need to get too personal, but you and I discussed the next level a bunch. And the reason that we're afraid of the next level, no matter how bad we want it, is it introduces a new possibility of failure. Okay. So if I'm shooting my league match and I'm always fifth, and that's not where I'm happy, but it's where I'm comfortable. Now, if I allow myself to believe that I can beat whoever's beaten me, it introduces a fear of failure that I don't currently have, right? Same thing with being self-employed. You know, you, you know I, I had a job that I liked a bunch. Um, I wasn't super happy, but I was comfortable. And I wanted to be a self-employed, traveling, globe-trotting, whatever it is that I do. I, I shouldn't say that. I know exactly what I do. There's only, what? four people in the world that have a job like this. Certainly I'm the only one that does what I do, but I was afraid of that next level because it introduces failure. I could work at the gun store for 20 years. I'd never fail. Right. So no matter how bad we want the next level, we're a little bit afraid of it. And our opinion of ourselves is what traps us there and keeps us from getting out. Gaz, you had a thing you wanted to do and we, we got you that by preparing for the next thing. Right. So you you can't be afraid of the next level if you're preparing for the level after that. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does make sense because the, so, the unknown lies a level beyond what you're what, right. what you're doing now is 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 just sort of par for the course because that unknown is is another level ahead. Right. Let's you know. Let's say I want to graduate college. I'm worried about the third year. Well, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna graduate college, I, the third year is in, in the bag. It's going to happen, and that goes back to self-image and output being the same, the things you believe you can do, you do well. It doesn't mean you win every time, but but you do them well. The things you believe you're going to struggle at, you always struggle at. Well, those things can be changed, but people are so comfortable where they are. Like if you meet somebody that's proud of the fact they can't remember names, right? I used to be that guy. Oh, I suck at names. Well, that's just one example. Every time I say I'm no good at names, I'm giving myself permission to forget your name. It doesn't have to be that way. It could be changed. And so one of the things we do in mental management is we give you the opportunity to rebuild yourself from the ground up to do, have, or be anything within your control. And that's pretty exciting. 
<laughs> Pretty cool. That is. So while we're on the mental management thing, Steve, I want to ask you a question which may be slightly difficult to answer. It may not be. We'll see. Um, for people who are interested in doing mental management with you, is there a great difference in doing it in person? So in your next visit to South Africa compared to taking it over three days um, with you virtually. So similar to how we do the podcast thing. Yeah, the experience will be exactly the same. Um, within within 10 minutes, we'll feel like friends if we're not already friends. And at the end of those six hours, you will know this material so well that the only problem you may have is a lack of follow through. So what you're saying is guys like me, you have not attended your uh, mental management yet because when you were here last I had work things that I had to do and I had to miss it. There's no excuse for me not dropping into one of your classes as soon as possible. If you want to do, have, or be anything within your control to do, have, or be, we can make that happen. If, if you're willing to make changes and if you're willing to do the work. Yep. You know? Attending a class does not change anything unless you're committed to taking the knowledge and applying it. Right. And the other thing is the simplicity of it can be maddening, meaning I'm not going to call it common sense, but let's just say it is common sense. Does anybody believe that they can do something well without confidence? No, no. Right. But we, but we, we do things in our shooting that diminish our confidence all the time. And so it's, it's just like, you know, losing weight and, and overeating, we know which choices contribute to weight gain and we know which choices contribute to weight loss, but we continue to make the opposite choices anyway sometimes. And that's where a willingness to change. You've got to want the new you more than you like the current you, right? For some of us, that's pretty easy because the new me can only be an improvement. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I'm feeling personally attacked here. That, 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 that was a joke, <laughs> And Gaz, when you quit smoking... You had to choose every day, sometimes multiple times during the day, right? Am I yeah. a smoker or am I a non-smoker? And once you decide to be a non-smoker, you don't get to smoke. And yeah. so what we have to do, that's just a, that's a very great example of, of he, he took a change he wanted. He said, that's it. I am going to change this behavior. I'm not going to do this anymore. And I don't know if you were hundred percent successful every day, but you certainly been successful over the long run, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So can, we've been successful. That's phenomenal. Congratulations, bud. So Thank we you. have a brilliant story for you on that, Steve. Go right ahead. So when, when Gaz was, was attempting to stop smoking, um, he was obviously working with youth through some stuff and T and I were pushing him to stop the bad habits. And then he attended a class where I was a student. He was a student. T was the instructor. And we taped Gaz's cigarettes to a target where if he made a mistake, he would shoot through his own box of cigarettes <laughs> and Gaz shanked a shot. I had never seen him <laughs> shank a shot so hard ever in my life. And he clipped the box. He, I don't think he hit any of the cigarettes, but he clipped the box for a guy who was usually confident and could shoot circles around. <laughs> oh no, my hostages are dead. Every single one of them. <laughs> Good 
twin little friends. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> that was the best experience ah, ever. What about that? <laughs> yeah, I was said that actually. But but here's the thing about about the mental management. Um, when I did the presentation in South Africa, one of the one of the per, one of the guys who attended guys, I can at least get that guys guys lacquer. He he pulled me aside and he was on the verge of tears. And he said, you have no idea who you've helped today and how much you've helped them. And that tells me that they took something out of it that may be bigger than shooting. Right. So the material is life changing if you're willing to change your life. Ooh, write that down. Yeah, material is life changing <laughs> if you're willing to change your life. Title of the show. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that, that's a hundred percent true, though. I, I mean, I uh, I did the the mental management you did after you you, you qualified with, with with Lenny last time you were here, uh, and and this is not a paid advert advertisement, um, but it there, there's a lot of stuff in there that you can apply beyond shooting. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a lot of stuff there that you can apply. In, in dealing with people, in, in, in dealing with, with your job, in your life, whatever. Um, I think with a lot of it, it it's common sense, but it's not. Um, you know, a lot of it makes perfect sense and is really difficult to to apply because it's, it, while it's logical, it's some of it's challenging um, to, to, to be politically correct and not just say it's hard, it, it's challenging. Mm-hmm. Sure. But, uh, yeah, I, I think there's a... I mean, I, I'm actually surprised. I didn't realize Corn hadn't done it. Um, you need. To, I was going to go, and then, uh, yep, things did not work out. You need to fix it. Because I saw Steve at a match that I shot just after he'd finished teaching that, and he goes, he walks up to me, he's like, "Hey, Cornene, how's it going?" I'm like, <laughs> "I'm so sorry, I missed it." <laughs> well, so it, 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 something as simple as your mood, right? Um, today, I woke up, and I was in a pretty good mood. And then I got downstairs and two dogs had made a mess on the floor. Um, and it irritated me. Well, then I immediately thought, hey, this mess is on the tile floor and is not in my bed or on the carpet. This is phenomenal. There's no better place to have this mess. And it's just, you know, looking at things and taking the positive away first. Now, this doesn't mean... A lot of people think that once we start talking about positive stuff, we're just going to accept our flaws, everybody gets a trophy, et cetera, et cetera. It doesn't mean that at all. It just means that we're going to make our changes from a great person who can be greater as opposed to making our changes from an idiot, right? You know, and people talk to themselves way harsher than they would ever talk to somebody they're working with. You do some coaching, right, Tarek? You you teach people some stuff? Yeah. Yeah, so you would never, I don't think, uh, especially somebody who's new, say you are an embarrassment to firearms and you should never touch another gun in your entire life and you're fired from shooting. No. Steve, have you met Tarek? No, no. <laughs> I, I, I say that to myself on the, on the rig. Uh, yes. <laughs> you made my point for me. You're talking to yourself in a way that you know is not productive. You would never talk to another shooter like that, but you'll talk to yourself like that. Why is that? Well, that's why we've got you here. Right. And, you know, we we live in a, a very type A environment. And the type A's 
They believe that they got where they got by being hard on themselves. And there probably is something to that. But the thing that you have to remember when you're when you're type A is that you must always have a singular objective. If you're type A and you harbor more than one objective, you're going to struggle a bunch. And the more type A you are, the more you must identify a singular objective for sure in shooting and probably also in, in life. That makes sense. And that's super important for the shooting crowd because, believe it or not, most of us are type A. That um, just we seem to be the, the the ones who gravitate towards the sport, right? Uh, and one of the things about type A is they don't fail when they have one objective. You know, if you tell a firefighter go in and get those kids, he'll die before he quits. But if you tell him, hey try to take it easy on the door. You know, the windows are new and the furniture, it's not a bad fire, but let's just see if we can maybe not damage too much stuff. All right. Now we have a firefighter who's conflicted. Is my job to get the kids? Is my job not to damage the furniture? And he'll struggle. Most of the firefighters I know would ignore the, the furniture directive and you just go mm -hmm. get those kids, you know, but it's in, in shooter and shooting, we, we do it all the time. I want to go fast, but I want to be accurate. Well, that's great. We can show you how to do that. You, you may not be able to improve your speed and your accuracy at the same time, but we can for sure uh, get you shooting as quickly and accurately as you're capable of today. That that much we can do for sure. And then we'll show you how to, how to keep them both going. And that's an important point with the as quickly and as accurately as you can shoot today. Um, there's a lot of people take speed mode practice or accuracy mode practice I don't think they completely understand it, but they take it and they then take one of those components to a match. Mm -hmm. So they'll, I've been working speed the last three weeks, so I'm going to blaze these targets. <laughs> and then when you score them, there's almost nothing on them. Or I've been working B8 to 25 for the last three weeks, so I'm going to shoot like two rounds in the same hole on every target in this match. And they'll do that at 25 yards and they'll do that at three yards. Yeah. Um, a lot of people can't get that, that, that balance of the combination where accuracy matters, speed matters, but they've got to both be there. What if we stopped controlling the speed? What if we trained at the limit of human function and let our eyeballs tell us how fast to pull the trigger? You, you, That's what I try I, to get people. You mean I mustn't slow down and get the hit? You must get the that's right. <laughs> must get the hits without consciously slowing down. And that's a much easier thing to experience than it is to try to talk about because the the only thing we're asking you, so what we want you to do everything as quickly as your human body can do it, tempered only by the visual patience of seeing what you need to see for every shot. Because when people slow down to get their hits, it slows the draw down, it slows the movement down, it slows everything down. And because we're consciously in control of speed, we're not getting a subconscious performance. It's a very herky-jerky performance. Uh, and it feels that way too. Um, but if we, if we don't do anything to control speed and we go back to our default of the limit of human function and let our eyeballs tell us how fast to pull the trigger, man, that's where the magic is. It's interesting that whole... you. If you're trying to slow down to make the, the, the rounds count, everything slows down. I had an experience not too long ago in a match. Um, Saturday. Oh, no. 
Um, I, I had a problem not too long ago, I guess sometime last year, where the first round of the stage was at like, I don't know, 25, 28 yards on a partial and a, a quite a tight partial. And I was so concerned about hitting the no shoot that my draw was glacial. <laughs> you could you could probably like measure my draw with like a calendar. <laughs> it was that slow. Across <laughs> two time zones, it's taken us a day and a half. <laughs> exactly. And it's like you 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 finish that and you think to yourself, well, why did I do that? That that did not help me make that shot. That just made everything slow up to the point where I was able to make that shot. And I was perfectly capable of making that shot. But there was there was no technical uh, or, or skills-based limit there that I was hitting. It just got into my head that that was a hard shot and that I was going to hit the no-shoot. And I didn't, but I overthought it so much that that stage performance was not where I would like it to be, shall we say. N- needs work. Needs work. <laughs> there we go. So, <laughs> and we, 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 so let's define overthinking. Um, overthinking is thinking beyond what you're doing right now or what you need to do right now. That makes right? sense. Sure. And if, if, if we think we're overthinking, so, so for you, if I'd been with you at that match, I said, Cornene, can you make the shot? He'd say, of course I can make the shot. So we need you to visualize what that's going to look like, what that's going to feel like, and then you need to go do it. Right. And, and if, if we, if we can say, okay, 28 yard, a uh, 28. See, I was all prepped to say meters for you. And then you went and said yards. And now I got to. <laughs> I'm, I'm blending the two together seamlessly to confuse everyone. Meters. Just, just, just don't use Fahrenheit because then we won't have a clue. Yeah. So this is a shot I can make. I seem to go do it. Um, but if we're afraid of it, a couple of things can happen. We'll either do it very consciously and we'll have trouble there. Or we'll worry so much about it and maybe get it right that we disrespect the rest of the stage. So those, those are two pretty common, uh, common results of like fixating on one thing. Exactly. I mean, it, it's something we see quite often. We, uh, and I've said to guys more than once that generally when I see someone slow down to get the hits, what they do is they miss the same as they would have just slower. Yeah. Um, there's, right. There's no, <laughs> That's there's no exactly great accuracy. <laughs> yeah. We still have the same problem. Don't we, you know, Back. <laughs> um, just a, 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 a little change of tack, but but something I'm I'm interested in. So hopefully people are listening are interested in. Um, your the, there's the I, I I can't remember what you call it. it it's not it's not the, the Anderson shooting team. It's the squad, the super squad. The yeah, we have many names, right? Right now, I think it's the AndersonShooting.com Dream Team Super Squad, something along those lines. <laughs> I like that. Nice like and that. short, which is important. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they all need titles then, like Generalissimo. And, um, <laughs> we, uh, could do, we could do, I, I suppose, comedy uh, comedy titles. That, that, yeah. there's, there's some. some Rear Admiral Jay Beale. Uh, <laughs> Hi, Jay. <laughs> Hi, Jay. <laughs> 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 Generalissimo Garrett John Evans. Um, 
All the names. Oh, and His Holiness, the what well, he is actually, he, he is a, he is a pastor, isn't he? Mark? He is, yeah. His yeah. His Holiness Mark Sue, that'd be pretty good. There we go. There we go. I won't even charge you for that. You heard um, it here first. <laughs> <laughs> can I be a colonel? Because I've always wanted to be a colonel. That's you can be Elvis. whatever you I want approve. to be. Okay. Yeah. I think no, be, that's I'll be Elvis. Yeah, I'll be the colonel. <laughs> as long go. as you believe, you can be anything you want to be. <laughs> yeah. But uh, can you tell us a little bit about about the the the, the Dream Team Super Squad um, People's Democratic Republic of AndersonTuning.com? Um, just a bit of the background, a bit about the guy. I mean, we know one of them, and he's not too bad. I like his dog and his girlfriend. Um, <laughs> so. Let, let me tell you, I have not thought this through completely even now. All I know is these are shooters that I have met and felt a greater than average connection to and wanted to be in their shooting careers. Um, they probably joke about this a bunch when they talk to each other. They probably sponsor me more than I sponsor them. But they are people that I wanted to have around um, people I wanted my brand to be associated with. And in the beginning, it was going to be, again, I really didn't think it through. All I know is when I met Garrett, I wanted to stay in touch with Garrett and I wanted to be known as a known associate. Let's just put it that way. Right. So whatever I can do for him helps him, whatever he can do for me helps me. It's more of a symbiotic relationship than a traditional sponsorship, you know, um, if I ever make any real money, Garrett, it's going to get a whole lot better. So just stand by. <laughs> um, but, and, and Jay, you know, Jay was another one, you know, when you meet Jay Beal, you just want to talk to him more. Right. And, and Mark Sue was really interesting because Mark was one of the, one of the smartest people I'd ever met that was neglecting a couple of very simple things. And when, when Mark Sue saw that he could do so much better with a little more simplicity, uh, he and I just, just had a, had a great, a great bonding over that, you know, um, because particularly if we have complicated jobs, we, we like things or we respect things that are complicated. Um, I know a lot of guys in the, in the financial business, uh, stocks and bonds, all the rest of it their their lives are very their 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 job lives are very complicated well they expect to be shooting shooting to be complicated too and the smarter somebody is on paper the more trouble they have with the simplicity of it um but the anderson shooting super squad dream team who knows what the future holds for us um they're just people that i wanted to have be a part of my life and i wanted to be a part of their life to whatever extent i could help them and it really has more to do to, it has more to do with attitude than it does actual shooting skill. You know, when I met Gaz, it was obvious this is a guy who will literally do anything he has to do to reach his goals. Those are the people I want to be around because then we can try stuff. <laughs> That's why we keep him around too. Yeah, um, it's infectious. Like it's, it's, it's he drags us <laughs> forward. Sure. I mean, we've we've had Jay on the show a couple of times, and. Uh, He's, he's a great dude, and, and when he shot his first Nationals, the three of us were sitting on practice school, um, like total fanboys, pressing refresh, 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 refresh. Uh, 
And it Dude, was I, amazing. I, I was on an airplane waiting. I was literally getting rid of the taxi and I was about to fake a bomb threat so they wouldn't so they wouldn't <laughs> take off until I could get this. Because, you know, the thing about practice score, at least for me, it, it's hard to know when it's a final result. Hmm. Right. It, it, it doesn't ever, I don't think it ever says final results. No. Right. It just, right. it changes and changes. Then it doesn't change for a little while. And you think, well, maybe this is it, you know? And I actually texted Jay, congratulations, I think, before he even knew how he'd finished, because he was like, I'm not sure why you're congratulating me, but thanks. Because <laughs> I wasn't sure. You know? I didn't, you know, I didn't want to say congrats on your fifth place finish and then find out that Max had another stage to shoot or something like that. You know, I, I just didn't know. But super, super, super great result. Um, I, I, you know, I love all these guys. I wish I could do more for them. Um, and one day I will, I promise. I, I think, Where, I mean, jokes aside, I think you've, and, and not blowing smoke, I think you've done a hell of a lot for them. I mean, I've, I've seen with Gaz, I mean, I've, I've known Gaz for a long time now and I've seen him come from, from being a, a, a good shooter to a great shooter. Um, and I, I don't know Jay well, but just chatting to him, the 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 influences, it's obvious, um, and, and in a positive way. Uh, Good. You know, I mean, I I think they do understand that Iron Maiden's better than Van Halen, but <laughs> besides that, uh, <laughs> I told I you not that, to say that. He'll leave. <laughs> did I tell you? Uh, I, I probably did. I actually did a a high school book report on the rhyme of the ancient mariner and played the song in class. So you can't do that with hot for teacher in English class. It doesn't work the same. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, suppose, I suppose you could once, but there would be some explanations. And <laughs> I brought my pencil. Give me something to write on. <laughs> I believe you know where the principal's office is. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just picturing my 10th grade English teacher, and he would probably have enjoyed that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> moving swiftly along. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Steve, just carrying on with what you said. Um, look, I, I think I speak on behalf of all three of us, myself, Mark, and Jay. We do appreciate everything that you do. And and when we speak, we regularly saying that we hope that we're doing enough to assist you so that we have that symbiotic relationship. And we've said on a regular basis that we are appreciative for everything that you do. And you've helped them and me quite a lot, um, extensively. You know, you've you've helped us all grow as individuals. It's you've helped me grow in other areas of my life as well, which I think that it's helped us all and we really do appreciate it. You know, I appreciate everyone who's ever supported me. Um, and anyone who's ever assisted me with my shooting and anywhere in my life, you know, if you don't have that and you've never had that experience, it's difficult to, to sort of take that and grow with it. If you know what I mean? Sure. You have to go through those experiences. Yeah. I'm also, uh, as, as, as you guys know, I'm, I'm kind of a weird reclusive guy. I don't, I don't call people on the phone very much. Um, I live in a very small world full of puppies and podcasts, you know, and, uh, but I appreciate you saying that very much. Thanks a bunch. And by, by, by the way, you'll know if something's important. If we have a phone conversation like you and I did the one time, Garrett, about something that was important, mm. that's how you know it's important is if I pick up the phone and call you. <laughs> Otherwise, we can just do a chat or something else, you know? Yeah, sounds like <laughs> Terry. Yeah, a lot of people are like that. If there's uh, a phone call, it's really important. <laughs> <laughs> or I'm drunk. Um, so that brings me on to, to, <laughs> to a slightly different question, or question, uh, uh, something that I'm interested in 
having you tell people about because I think it's going to be spectacular. Um, I've reviewed some videos for Gaz um, that were going into the Anderson Insider Program. Could you tell us a little bit about the Insider Program? I think there's a there's a lot of value there for shooters, uh, I'll and they might not it. all be aware that 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 is out there and how great it is. So it's basically designed to be a big vault of things we know, things I know, things Gaz knows, things Mark knows, things Jay knows. And it's just this big vault of stuff. Um, One of the things that I've done is I've actually written a fourth book called How To Now. And How To Now exists in PDF and it exists in audiobook. It's the only place it exists. And it's literally one to two pages three to four minutes of audio of how to solve a problem in your shooting today. So if you've struggled calling your shots, there's a chapter in how to now, how to call your shots today. And if you print that out, you listen to it on the way to the range, you will leave that range and you'll be able to call your shots. It took me 10 years to figure that out. We're going to, we're going to do it in one day. Okay. And those are the kinds of things that I want to put in there. And, uh, Garrett and Jay and Mark have different ways of looking at the drills. Well, so now instead of one guy explaining it, now you've got four guys explaining it. And you may hear something in somebody's presentation that makes more sense than, than something I would say. Um, so it's just designed to to be this, this huge vault of stuff that we know. And I expect it to change over time. Um, right now you have get to work audio, how to now audio. Oh, and my, my podcast show prep is in there. So you don't need to take notes. Um, and I, I, I start to wonder if maybe you guys tell me, I start to wonder that the podcast might be getting a little too organized because I have this beautiful outline I work from now and I've noticed that they're getting shorter and more organized. We think so, we need more, do we need more so, comedy and dog noise, a little less organization? We we really enjoy dog noise for one. Okay, yeah. we're we're all massive dog people, yeah. um, but we also enjoy uh, a lack of structure because I think that's just who we are. Except for Gaz, who really loves structure. Uh, <laughs> but I'm not sure how your audience at large will feel about more dog noise and less structure. So they might not like it as much as we do. What I tell the audience at large is: you get what you get, and you don't throw a fit. Um, <laughs> We have been giving away more free milk than anybody in the industry for seven years. Um, to the extent that, that when I first met Jay, the first thing he said to me was, I've been listening to you for so long that I didn't think I could learn anything else from you. <laughs> and yet and you was, keep learning something else from Steve. And that was just, that was just, just, just a free podcast, you know? Um, oh, hey. you know there's a dog noise. Yes. Right on. Good time, we talking about. Yes. <laughs> so that's that's Rogue. That's the 175 pound Great Dane. Big boy. My my daughter is probably home, and that's probably what's. Yeah, she's home. They're they're doing the hello. Yeah. You better. I'm being robbed on on the internet. I mean, cross cross all, cross continental. All yeah. three of us will try to shoot whatever goes up behind you. <laughs> Our neighbors are going to be frightened, but. <laughs> Hi. Hi, how, how are you? Hey, how are you? These, most of these guys have the shirt with your autograph on it. Perfect. Yeah, <laughs> I think we all have it. No. All right, guys. 
So yeah, just just make sure she goes potty when you get her out. Thank you. Oh, and we're 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 for sure on poop watch because she hasn't pooped since she had uh, lunch. Poop. There's watch. the show title. <laughs> poop watch. <laughs> so what you have to do is it, it's it's you know you guys all have dogs. You, you have to wait for the sniffing to start, and then if you can get them before they form the tripod, you're in pretty good shape. Yeah. Once once they build the tripod, you are on borrowed time. <laughs> You have got you have got Tootsie Rolls inbound once the tripod gets built. <laughs> I'm just gonna write that down. It'll be in the structure. <laughs> well, and Dobermans are a little different because you can actually see it start to come out. <laughs> like changes, it doesn't matter, never mind. <laughs> Our special guest, Steve Anderson, how to tell when your Doberman has to poop. <laughs> this is what our listeners have been asking for for a year. <laughs> we have listeners asking about, uh, you know, when are we going to do a show about dogs? Um, those same people asking when we're doing a show with you. It's Christmas. Yeah. So there we go. Well, I don't know if you saw the shirt. The shirt does say dogs rule. Dog and, uh, exactly. I've been wearing it all day. I didn't put it on just for you guys. That is they true. really do. That's Best said, things in the world. Oh, yeah. Here's a list of things I like more than dogs. End of list. So you don't have a relationship with anybody but your dog that's not conditional. Hmm. Um, yep. your, your, your spouse will tell you unconditional love. No, there are conditions to that love. You know, um, your parents will tell you unconditional love. There are conditions that you can do some stuff that'll get your parents out of your life, but that dog will starve to death at your side yeah. until yep. one of you is dead. You know, yep. they really so, will. They'll think nothing, about us. Yeah. Nothing like to be the man. My, my dog thinks I am no kidding. Uh, yeah, and I'll never succeed, but I'll keep trying. Like Luna, uh, our our middle great Dan was a rescue, and I had to take her to the vet today. And she put the brakes on, wouldn't go in the vet's office. I made her go, made her go. She came out, and when she saw me, the look she gave me is the definition of love. I mean, that's just just all there is to it. Mm. She's like. I get to go back home again to the same place with the other dogs and the food. This is great. This is the best day ever. Wag, 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 wag. <laughs> dogs literally are the best thing in the world. There's, there's nothing like them. Um, mine are currently lying in the bed, but yes. As a, as a mine. They're, they're in bed with their mom and uh, they're not yeah. moving. <laughs> same, yeah. Getting pretty late for you guys, isn't it? What is it? Almost nine, almost ten? Uh, almost ten. Almost okay. ten. About ten. Okay. I'm <laughs> so let's basically get back to the show. So now that now that my daughter's home, I don't really have a time constraint anymore because she she can take care of the puppy. So we're in pretty good shape. No, no. Also, we also we 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 want to be respectful and mindful of your time because uh, it it has a value. So uh, you just let us know what what works for you. Otherwise, we'll matter on for hours. Okay. Um, where where to from here for for Anderson shooting? Um, mm -hmm. what a great question I think about that a bunch um, we're at a crossroads here in the US short term maybe long term we're going to find out who's serious about the sport and who's casual about the sport we're going to lose some people um, maybe forever 
Um, but the people that are going to stay in the sport and make do with the ammo situation, because it'll probably get a little worse before it gets better. Um, I want to help every single one of them crush the casual people who are going to take a break or drop out. You know, this is where we find out what you're made of mentally. This is where you find out how bad you want it, you know, mm. and I want to be the guy that helps every single one of them reach their goals. They've got a unique opportunity now uh, because a lot of their competition is just not going to be there, you know, mm. and then we're also going to expand mental management beyond shooting. Um, I'm not worried about our second amendment in my lifetime. Um, but I am worried that the gun control machine is going to get rolling again. It's been kind of sitting idle for a while. Mm. Um, we have virtually one party rule now, as you know, probably. Mm. Um, what a lot of people don't know, though, is that in the southern parts of America, those Democrats aren't going to want to go back home having pushed for gun control. So we, we, we do think, uh, I think that maybe some of the Southern Democrats will moderate some of this a little bit, but they'll be under tremendous party pressure. So at any rate, uh, my goal is to expand the mental management beyond shooting um, and just continue to help people get what they want. I wouldn't be the guy that helps people get what they want. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. From, 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 from the outside, I think uh, in a lot of ways, U.S. shooters are, are, are have started sort of experiencing and are going to start experiencing how shooters in the rest of the world have it. Um, you know, it, it being expensive, limited access to things, that sort of thing. Um, and it's, it's not something anyone would wish on you. And, and, and I really hope it, it kind of recovers quickly. Um, but I think, I mean, America is kind of the gun capital of the world. And I, and I think you, you, you a, a lot of the European guys, a lot, obviously the guys here, um, have have kind of ridden this path before of of ammunition costing a fortune, primers costing a fortune, uh, you know, sort of going through droughts where you just can't get anything. Uh, and I think the the benefit, exactly as you said, is uh, you know if if we look at, at sort of IPC in Europe, some of the best shooters in the world are, are, are coming out of Europe because. They, if if you've pushed through all of those hoops, um, to to have access to guns, to be able to shoot, to 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 afford all of that, uh, you're not doing this on a Saturday afternoon to keep yourself entertained because there's nothing on TV. Mm. Uh, so it'll it'll be interesting. Um, I mean, I I really hope uh, your your politics don't go the way the some of the promises that were made. Um, but it's it's going to be an exciting time for you, and and we all obviously watch it very very carefully because the old joke is, you know, America catches a cold or sneezes, and the rest of the world catches a cold. Interesting. So, yeah, yeah, we're just we're just going to keep do, we're just going to keep you know doing what we do and trying to get better at it and trying to expand it. Um, not ready to teach PCC yet because I don't know anything about it. But if we, if it gets, you'll you'll know when it's gotten bad when I start giving PCC classes. (laughs) (laughs) From what I've seen, it a lot of complaining. Yeah, Tarek and I are massively interested in PCC because we've both bought them. Hmm. So, I mean, don't tell the internet that. But (laughs) I've had I've had several PCC shooters take the class with a with a handgun. 
And we, we, you know, with a pistol, and I just tell them, I'm going to show you what works on the handgun and anything you can extrapolate to a PCC, you go right ahead. Because mm-hmm. I, I, I have rifles and I enjoy shooting them. I've not studied the rifle and I haven't studied the shotgun the way I've studied the handgun. Um, they just, it's, it's kind of nice to have a gun like a rifle or a shotgun that's purely fun. Because it's hard for me to shoot a handgun without feeling like I'm working or practicing. But man, my little Smith and Wesson 1522 uh, AR replica, mm. I just have yeah. so much fun with that because it's not work. It's fun. It's why we got started in the first place. You know, you're, you're right back to, I wonder if I can hit that, you know? <laughs> yeah. There really is a lot of crossover between long guns and pistol. Um, so is or isn't? I, 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 is. Okay. I good. shoot pistol and I shoot shotgun and I'm going to get into PCC soon. T-shoots, pistol, rifle, shotgun. Um, there is a lot of skills. I was substantially better ranked when I started shooting shotgun, despite everything that I didn't know in Ipsic, purely because of what I knew about the sport from handgun. Um, there, is a, there is a hell of a lot of crossover that, that you can use to your advantage, even though you're not shooting the, the, the same style of firearm. Sure. Um, so attending your pistol classes is going to help people regardless of what, what they're doing in terms of sport. And obviously sort of the, 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 the mental game doesn't change based on the shape of the gun. Um, you hit on something that I actually I was, I was considering on, asking anyway, so I'm, I'm going to bring it up off, off the sort of serious side. Do you ever just shoot for fun anymore, Steve? Well, I did last weekend. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, um, I do. Um, what's interesting, th- what's, what's kind of weird about me is I have a history of taking the thing that I'm the most passionate about and making it into a job. Um, I did it selling guitars. I did it uh, in a rock and roll band. I did it in music stores. I've done it in shooting. And I have, I have zero regrets but there is a thing when the thing becomes the job, it changes a little bit. Um, so yes, I do. I do go out and, and, and shoot for fun. Um, I have a range at my house, which I used to always make fun of people that have ranges at their houses and don't use them very much. I don't use mine near as much as I thought I was going to. Um, only because uh, we've had a, ever since we've had this house, we've, we've, we've had a dog cycle. Mm-hmm. You know, we either, we either had, old dog or new dog or, and those guys always come first, but having a range at the house means I can go down and shoot 30 rounds, 40 rounds, 50 rounds, whatever I want to do. Um, but most of it is, is study. Um, like, like the last full practice session I had, uh, was designed. I, I went and shot every drill from both classes. Okay. To make sure that, what I'm telling other people to do is the right thing to be told what to do. Right. And so, yeah, I shoot for fun. They, we had the stage up in Naples, Florida, and I shot a full stage for the first time in a year and had just an absolute blast. So much fun. So much fun. And luckily it got recorded and I still look pretty good. So that's good. Long as it still inspires joy. That's the, the important, but it may often feel like work long as you're still finding some joy in it. This may be difficult to believe, but 
the joy I get from you doing something extraordinary is bigger and better than the joy I get from doing something extraordinary. I experienced that today. Um, did you teach somebody how, did you teach somebody how to do something really cool? I took a friend to the range in November. We'd been carrying a gun for 20 some odd years and then figured out that he didn't know how to shoot them. Um, and I took him to the range. We spent a day doing stuff, um, fundamentals. And we only shot like 200 rounds. It was a day of dry fire. It was a day of talking about fundamentals, talking about why he shouldn't do some of the things that he was doing, showing him how to go and practice that stuff on his own without me. And things worked out today. We rejoined each other on the uh, range. And a guy who couldn't keep, and I, I'm not making this up, he couldn't keep all the rounds he was firing on an IDPA target at three meters. Like there were, there were misses at three meters on an IDPA target. To a man that shot a 47 out of 50 on a dot torture today with a Glock 43, shot a 90 somewhat percent on a B8 at 10 meters. First time he's ever shot anything like that at 10 meters. First time he's ever shot weekend only. First time he's ever shot stronghand only. And then he shot a 77% at 20 meters with his little Glock 43 carry gun. Um, and he has never attempted, or he, he, he hasn't succeeded. He's never attempted to fire around at that distance. And the joy was immense for me, much greater than his going, this dude's put in the time. He's listened to some of the stuff that I could tell him, but he's done all the work. And he is now a phenomenal shooter, fundamentally. Um, it, it was a great day. And that feeling for me is greater than the feeling of winning a match. Um, and it's, it's one of the main reasons that I do this. I'm, I'm, I'm lucky to get paid for it, but I would do it for free if I could afford to. Yep. T, do you concur with that? Do you get the same kind oh, of joy out of uh, I, I, you know, it, it's nice getting paid for it, but uh, it's it's not it's not. I like teaching. Um, it's 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 rewarding. It's it's nice seeing people kind of develop. It's nice seeing sort of having people who, who want to improve their skills. That's why I'd never, you know, with with our competency training and that, I wouldn't want to do that because that's people who have to check a box. Um, but teaching is like if I if I could. You know, I would love to be able to do it full time. Um, it's it's very very rewarding. Um, and you can tell who who loves it and who does it just for the money. You can tell ten minutes in. Yeah. You know, this guy's pretty good at it, but he's doing it for a paycheck. Mm. Mm. Yeah, no, there's a there's a definite difference in in the in the quality of the material. Um, you know, I've I've been fortunate to, to train with some really really good instructors, and some of the best training I had was was with a, a, a mate of mine in Serbia who's, who's a very high-end shooter who decided he was going to show us some stuff on his range while we were there. Um, and, you know, I, I learned more in, in, in a couple of hours with him than I have in some three-day courses with some big names. Um, and, and that was a guy teaching me in his second or third language as well. Um, hmm. But uh, Lubashe is a beast. I mean, he's a, he's a hell of a shooter and he's, a, he's an amazing dude and, and I need, we need to get him on the show. Um, but yeah, it was, it's, it's nice to see someone who, who wants, wants to make you better. Um, 
and and jokes aside, once again, without blowing smoke, that was that was one of the nice things about about doing the training with you. Uh, and and Steve is not paying us for this, um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> in fact, we'll have to pay him and Vintuk when he comes back. wiser from another mother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I restocked the Vintuk today, Steve, because I ran out because we were we were on on more prohibition for a bit, and uh, <laughs> I had a chance today after I went shooting to go and uh, and pick up some Vintuk, and I left with a lot. I needed help carrying stuff. Thank God. <laughs> when I tell people that all the ranges over there have bars, they just can't even believe it because that's just not done here. Um, <laughs> The you, you would occasionally have somebody bring a cooler and maybe have a beer when everything was already done, but for the most part, there's no alcohol anywhere near our shooting ranges. Yeah, so ours have very very strict rules about mm-hmm. drinking and firearms handling. It's not just the ranges that have it; it's it's in the law. Right. Um, but once the matches is done, it's pretty common for guys to have a beer together, talk about the match, talk about life, just sit down make some jokes. Yeah. Um, that's one of the things that other than shooting is so great about the sport in this country, at least because I've never competed outside of this country um, is the, the bonding experience you get when the match is done. Um, yeah. It's, it's pretty similar to what we see in the States. Although we do, we do our bonding. We have to drive to a restaurant, you know, 10 minutes later or, or 10 minutes down the road to actually do that. But it's very similar here. It's just not done at the range. Okay. Makes sense. Obviously, none of that happened under prohibition, fortunately. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> we, we could luckily still shoot. We couldn't do uh, this time. This time we could still shoot. The last time we couldn't. Yeah, I took that away for a bit as well. Have we lost Garrett or did he just turn his camera off? No, his camera's off. He's conserving power. Okay. Yeah. Hibernation mode. Well, that, that's his story. We have our theories about what Gaz gets up to halfway through the show when he turns off his camera. Poor <laughs> 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 <Or> stealth. <laughs> that's, why the, that's why the headphones have such a long wire. Ah. We'll, we'll leave that there wherever that was going. Because <laughs> that's concerning. <laughs> so, Steve, tell us about like things you do outside of shooting and training. Cause I think people would be quite interested in knowing a little bit more about Steve, the dude versus. Be, so that's, that's the point I was making earlier. There really isn't much else. Um, there is music. Uh, oh, well, sure. I mean, I, I was in a rock. I, I, yeah. I was in a, a rock band for a long time. If I have a hobby, it's probably riding motorcycles, which I've learned to do very casually. Um, it's the, it's one of the few things after I crashed my first motorcycle in the winter, learning trail braking, I discovered I don't have to drag a knee to have a good time on a motorcycle. And I very wisely redefined my level of participation as getting home safe. So I love to take a motorcycle out and, and, you know, cruise around, but I really don't do much else. Um, I'm, I'm a pretty boring guy. You sound like most of us, I think. I mean, you know, I was I was in a rock band for a while. Uh, we made our first self-released record when I was 16. That was pretty cool. Um, uh, almost got a record deal before, uh, right when right when Nirvana came out. 
we were the last of the good time rock and roll bands to not be successful. Um, and I, I suppose by that time, hard rock had kind of become a little bit of a self parody and was due for a reset. I just don't know that it needed to be a hundred percent reset, you know, but yeah, there's, there's not a lot else. I do. You know, I'm married, got, got a, got a uh, daughter that lives with us, three, three dogs. Um, there's not a whole lot else to talk about. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And you know what? Being in a rock band, you don't get to claim that it's not that exciting. It just means that you, you got a lot of the excitement out of your system earlier. Uh, <laughs> but there's not, not a lot of people who can claim that they were ever in a rock band. Well, we were we were pretty successful. I mean, uh, our last gig was opening up for Night Ranger. You guys know Night Ranger, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, our drummer was mad because he couldn't put his drums in the middle of the stage. So, because Night Ranger, their drummer sings, so the drummers the drums are more forward than than they normally would be. So, uh, yeah, that was probably our our biggest gig. Um, that is awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Met met a decent number. You know, met met Ted Nugent. Um, oh, cool. Nice. Went on tour with the Bullet Boys. You, I don't know if you guys ever, ever remember the Bullet Boys. They had one big hit called Smooth Up In Ya. You may not have gotten over there. Mm. But yeah, you know, and I thought, just like what I do now, I thought I was going to be a professional musician. And th- what's neat about shooting is in the music world, it requires somebody else to agree with you that you're the greatest right? This is a great song. You're a great guitar player, blah, blah, blah. One of the things I liked about shooting right away was nobody could take it away from me. Meaning my score was my score. And you could say I did it wrong, or you could say I I didn't do it correctly, but you can't take my score away from me. Mm -hmm. You know, whereas in music, they don't like your haircut or your shoes or whatever. As you, they can say, you're not right for this, but in shooting. and, And I think that's one of the things that I really took to immediately was I, I did have this chip on my shoulder because of the perceived failure in music. Uh, to to be a grandmaster was something that I had to do. I had to get some sort of stamp of approval on Steve Anderson. That's that a, makes sense. I mean, it's it's it's. I won't sound fortunate. That might be the the wrong word. Um, depending on on how you feel about it, all these years later, it's unfortunate that you didn't succeed in the music world. But it obviously did really great things for your uh, your enthusiasm and your drive towards uh, becoming a GM, and we're all thankful for that because we're all better for it. Well, and I books, the- I studied guns the way I studied guitar, so the the mute, number one I didn't expect to do when I started, right? Because I was a terrible guitar player when I started, and I knew that I didn't need to be great naturally to be great eventually. Ooh, write that down. That's that's a good one. That is oh, a really good, a good one. Yeah, yeah. I need to write that down. Yeah, you don't need to be great naturally to be great eventually. Um, and you never pick up a guitar and expect to play Stairway to Heaven all the way through your first attempt. You know, you, you, you work at it piece by piece by piece, and then you build and you build and you build, and then eventually you can do it. And you have to want it bad enough to not get up, to not give up when it gets hard. Um, a lot of people have taken two guitar lessons ouch, my finger hurts, and they put it away. Well, you have to get beyond that. And it doesn't take much. If you can if you can put up with your fingers hurting for a couple of weeks, you can do something, you know. But I, I just approached shooting the way I approached music, one little chunk at a time. It's not going to be exciting necessarily. It's, it can be boring and repetitive, but we're going to do And I didn't know I was building subconscious skill. I didn't learn that until later. I just knew I was getting better, and that was good enough for me. 
But subconscious skill really is the key. You don't have to understand it for it to work. Yeah. It helps if you understand it, but you don't have to understand it for it to work. Yeah, it might be a little bit more inspiring if you know it's going to work. But I've just recently redefined practice. Like, 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 uh, Tarek, why do we practice? To build subconscious skill. Oh, that's genius. Most people would say to get better. <laughs> Most people that you ask, why do we practice? Because I want to get better. If you knew that the purpose of practicing was to build a high level of subconscious skill available to you on demand under pressure without thinking about it, it might change the way you practice. Meaning the reps may be more important than the strict quality of the reps. You know, a lot of people say, oh, it's got to be perfect. Well, it should be similar, but they don't need to be perfect to count as reps. And we need a bunch of them. You know, yeah, even the bad ones often teach you things. Oh, it teaches you. don't want to keep doing the bad ones, but they'll show you what you're doing wrong and you can improve. Absolutely. That's why, that's why when we, when we, pardon me when we practice on the days we don't want to Gaz, haven't you had a lot of breakthroughs on days you didn't want to practice? Yeah. I've had quite a few memorable breakthroughs on days that I didn't want to practice. What do you think the difference is? You're not, you're, you're not, I don't know how to word it properly, but you're not at the practice session. Your mind might be somewhere else. So you're working in a more subconscious sort of manner. You're, you're not consciously thinking about things. You're going through the motions of what you're trying to do with the drills. And because you're doing it subconsciously and you're not thinking about it consciously, when you have that breakthrough, you're like, oh, hang on, I just did that. That's a breakthrough. And then you can roll on with that. that that's from what I've experienced on my side. That's brilliant, dude. The way I think of it is it's very similar is because you're not so actively excited in doing it, you're, you're more an observer of what's happening as opposed to a conscious actor. Yeah. So it, it allows you to be kind of this weird third person coach because you're just watching what's happening. Um, and because I, I remember there was a day I didn't want to practice and I was like, hmm, my reload could be a little higher to find position. Just, just things like that, that normally you're so uh, amped up and trying so hard that you really, you may not be observing much. You're, you're, you're more doing stuff. But yeah, practicing when you, when you don't want to is just so critical. I mean, we... We, we've observed, I think we've possibly discussed in the show before, I've seen a lot of, I've, I've seen a lot of sort of naturally talented shooters and I've seen very few of them go particularly far. Um, I've, I've seen a lot of guys who are naturally naturally athletic, naturally coordinated, they, they pick up a gun and they, they shoot pretty well straight away. Um, and I have not, there's a few, but as, as a general rule, I kind of see those guys and girls reach a point and then fizzle out. Uh, and, and I've seen a lot of people who who were not great guitar players the first time they picked one up um, who have gotten really good just by doing this this weird thing called work. <laughs> so work. <laughs> when, when Lanny interviewed gold medalists for the foundation of, of mental management, the top 5% don't believe they were born with it. Okay, the gold medalists don't believe they were born gold medalists. Now, there may be something going on in genetics. Obviously, if you're three feet tall, you may not be a great basketball player, you know. However, they don't believe that the God-given talent that they had was sufficient to get them to the Olympics. They believed it was something else. And that's important because if we believe that we have to be born a champion and we don't believe we're born a champion, 
gosh, what a great excuse to give up. Um, and uh, I was going to go somewhere else with that. I forgot where it was. So that moment you hit the sort of the adversity where this is no longer easy. It was oh, yeah. really, really easy to get to 80% or 90% or whatever. And now that that next 1% requires more effort than I've put in ever. Mm-hmm. And you give up, you, you fizzle out, you go find something else that you're naturally good at, get to 90% and then leave. And then we put all this effort into our training and we find out that we can't put all that effort into our competition performance. How interesting is that? Mm, that is. That is true, yeah. Yeah, Gaz, isn't it, isn't it interesting to learn how to avoid overtrying? Oh, yeah. No, that's an interesting... Overtrying is probably one of the simplest things to get into. And, and on the other side, it's, it's sort of the under-trying side of things where you dial it back. You know, like we, we spoke about earlier. Um, so... It's in, it's interesting how that can manipulate your performance and how that can have adverse effects on what you're actually capable of. And then th- having to go through that and diagnose what you did. And we often, I think in the shooting side of things, we often tend to fall back onto the technique side instead of what we could have been doing differently mentally, you know, and, that, and that's an important part of the game. Sure. You, you know, w- what sucks about overtrying is you lose your subconscious skill. Mm. So you literally lose all the practice that you've done by demanding 101% of yourself instead of just 100%. And that was the other thing that, that he learned uh, from, from the Olympic champions was that they've learned that overtrying is a sure way to lose, right? So you're an Olympic figure skater and you have to go out there with a mentality that says, I'm just going to have fun today. Now, Cornene, the next time you put on a wig and some makeup, you might go figure skating. And if you get to the Olympics as a figure skater, you're going to have to get out there and just say, let's just have fun today. Gary Spice says it all. Gary, have you ever about this prospect? I saw that in like close up. Not- have you- <laughs> Garrett, have you ever gone to a, a major match and been so naturally confident that you could? Not quite just have fun, but allow yourself to have fun and not be worried about it. Oh, yeah. It's happened once or twice. It makes a big difference, doesn't it? Yeah. That, that, that opens up your opportunity to actually enjoy the performance. Um, and you'll get your best performance out of being in that, that sort of mindset and that um, allowing yourself to be in that environment where you can actually enjoy being at that match and having enjoyed being or having the opportunity to prepare for that event. Mm -hmm. And having your, so it's important to avoid overtrying. You must believe that you're good enough to be successful with an average performance, a normal performance, let's say not average, right? (laughs) Meaning if I'm going to go to world shoot and I think I can win, I better believe that I could get up tomorrow morning and have an, and have a world shoot winning performance, or I can get up six months and now have a, have a world winning performance. You know, we have a young man here named Christian Seiler who has the best self image I've ever seen in, in social media, right? If you were to call him and say, Christian Seiler nationals is tomorrow. We need you to be at the range at eight o'clock. He'd be like, I can win this tomorrow. See you then. He would not be panicked in the slightest. We just a phenomenal self image. Now, you you guys 
in spite of your gregarious humor, you tend to be a little bit more reserved and polite than most Americans that I know. Um, certainly you come across that way to me. And so what you've got to do is build and protect that which gives you confidence without seeming impolite, right? So you don't need to externalize your, your confidence, but you do need to internalize your confidence because confidence is at least 30% of performance. And the better you are technically, the, the more important it is. Steve, yeah, quick one. Sorry, I'm going to interject this because I think it's, it's related to this topic and we haven't done it even though we were supposed to do it as a Q&A answer. Someone asked, someone who used to shoot at a relatively high level and has slipped back quite substantially over the last year, year and a half, uh, submitted a question and said that uh, he's having real difficulty in improving his performance or even attaining where he once was. And he thinks it's because he is having one difficulty believing that he was ever able to shoot the level that he could. And two, when he does do well, he doesn't feel uh, at ease with it. Um, it's that whole, oh, what happened? And sure. then you start messing everything else up. All um, right. So has this person had a significant change in level of participation? Have we had a life event or a job loss or anything like that? Uh, I can't say for certain. I think level of participation has definitely gone. Level of practice has definitely gone down. I'm not sure about uh, participation as a whole. I'm not okay. sure about life events. Meaning has, has shooting gone from the most important thing in my life to I've got kids, I got laid off, I got divorced. Oh, let's go shoot, you know, because <laughs> life events, you know, if you look at the gaps in, in my competition career, those are life events. Those are very real, very traumatic life events that, that we, I just like to know about them. Okay. So pe people do a thing where they abnormalize excellence. Um, your, your guy, whoever it is you're talking about either doesn't believe he ever was extraordinary, even though you're probably going to tell him he was, and the, the, the facts are probably there in, you know, medals or trophies or whatever it is. He, you could probably make him believe he was once great. And so what happens now is he believes something has happened and he's not great. So he's abnormalizing excellence. When he does do well, he says, that wasn't me. I can't do that. That was luck. That was the lucky planet alignment or whatever you want to call it. Because he's keeping himself in that comfort zone, right? If he allows himself to be excellent, it's going to make him uncomfortable because he doesn't feel excellent anymore. Um, we've got to normalize that feeling. And there's some very simple things you can do that seem a little weird when you first do them. But things like owning your excellence, right? When you do something great, you need to own it. Um, when I shot that stage in Naples, Florida, I don't know that that stage, and it's, it's, it's a little bit different, but I don't remember anybody ever shooting it in 10.9 seconds. And it is a little bit more compact, mm -hmm. but if I say not bad for an old guy, right, I'm abnormalizing excellence. The fact of the matter is I walked up, uh, didn't even do a shooter's walkthrough. Of course I do. I do know that stage very well. And I absolutely burned it to the ground. I don't need to apologize for that. I don't need to, you know, say, well, old guy, I got lucky. You know, I burned it to the ground with subconscious skill. Okay. But what I'll also tell you is right before I shot, another guy shot it before me. He shot it in 15 seconds. And I allowed myself for one second 
literally one second to worry that it wasn't going to be fast enough. Right. I had the intrusive thought, Hey, Anderson, you better, you better. I was like, no, you, you be quiet. I'm going to center my dot and call my shot. It is what it is. And it worked, worked great, but I did it with, with a lot of confidence. I think so, that range is still smoldering on a side note. Buddy, you know, you know, it still smells like sulfur if you roll your window down. It's like, <laughs> we better go by there with a, with a fire extinguisher so we don't burn down the whole state. But going back to your guys, we need, we need, we need three things. We need strategy, skill, and confidence. So if his level of participation has slipped and he's not practicing, we need more skill. Okay. Yep. The the strategy comes from him controlling his thoughts. So every thought he has prior to shooting is going to affect his shooting. Okay. So he needs to focus on what he needs to do to get the best result, not worry about what may or may not happen. Okay. Because his his former glory or his current struggle has nothing whatsoever to do with what he needs to do on match day. Nothing whatsoever. And if he'll allow his job to be simple, remember we talked about a singular objective. Right. If he'll go uh, analyze, strategize, memorize, visualize, if he'll get 20 reps of his stage plan and then just shoot the gun at the targets, he'll do great. But this this person that you're talking about is a classic candidate for for mental management. We can fix all this. Awesome. He's definitely going to be listening to this. So, well, <laughs> hopefully yeah. he's going to be enrolling in your in your mental management class. We're, we're going to fix this for, for sure. You know, one of the things we have to do is actively build and protect self-image. Right. That means so if something happens, did you guys hear the show where I put the car in the ditch on Christmas Eve? Yeah. Yeah. So yep. as soon as so that happened because I expected it to happen, not because I wanted it to happen. Not because you wanted it. Yeah. Now, turns out I was expecting what I didn't want. And guess what I got? You know, but I immediately went to work rebuilding my self-image immediately. Didn't take a picture of the car in the ditch. Told we used it on the podcast because it's a very good teachable moment but didn't talk about it a whole lot outside of that. And then I made a point to get a bunch of good repetitions, visual repetitions of getting that car up, up, up the hill. I've had no trouble since then. So, yeah, so. Related to that and, and, and um, ask, asking for a friend, uh, <laughs> coming, coming back from a, like a, a, a really atypical performance, so coming back from a, from from a really negative performance of the match, um, how how do you do that? How do you, how do you get back to believing that that you haven't slipped thirty percent? So for starters, there's a procedure that you're supposed to do immediately after a disappointing performance, and you remember what that is. We're not going to discuss it specifically. Um, the bottom line is you need to you need to identify and focus on a correction or a solution instead of a problem. Okay, if you struggled at a match, it was most likely a mental error of some kind. So we just need to identify what do I need to do different in the future to prevent this problem. And it sounds, oh man, it probably sounds overly simplistic, like a, like a lot of the stuff does, but. You, for example, let's not know more about our worst match than we know about our best match, <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, you know a bunch about screwing up. Okay, let's learn more and think more about what to do next time. So, this this trouble that somebody had, what were they? Was it a different mindset potentially than than normal? 
I think I, I, th I think it, it probably hit that sort of over trying thing, um, and uh, yeah, I I I shot a, a shocker match on Saturday and uh, managed to tank every stage, which is <laughs> not like me. Uh, what, we, <laughs> what we should add to that, and this is not not excusing the the end result. I don't want it to sound like that. Uh, the match was also atypical. Um, it was not a common shotgun match. It was a lot of long courses with a lot of technical movement and a. it was a really, really challenging match. Which is all um, stuff I'm good at. Again, not, not, trying to, not trying to, to, to explain the, the performance <laughs> away at all. I'm just saying that it, it was an atypical match too, which may have increased that uh, wanting to, to do well and hence over trying. So probably had what we call conscious override, which is where instead of allowing the gun to shoot itself, you just long for the ride. You may have been very consciously executing minutia that you haven't thought about in a very long time. Right? It's it, it, it's just like when I drive my Mustang with my with with the manual transmission. I mean, I can drive that car like I stole it, not a problem. But if I have a passenger who I want to impress with my nice smooth launch, that's when I stall the car because I'm thinking about something that I don't need to think about, right? The, the solution for, for that would be, let's get as many reps we can of, of, of stage plan, and then let's use a focus phrase that allows us to stay focused on something other than the minutia of what we're getting ready to do. But you know how to, and, 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 and so I don't mean to shake my pen at you, but it's, it's fun to see yourself on camera and see things move. <laughs> this is what it's like to be a cat. Oh, that's so exciting. <laughs> Hang on, where's that laser? Yeah, I was going to say, we need a laser. <laughs> By the way, you do know what the best compliment is that you can give a cat, right? I'm sure you know this. When somebody has a cat that they really like, what's, what's the, the highest praise you can give a cat? It no, acts just like a dog. dog. <laughs> That's the best compliment you can give a cat. <laughs> Same thing with seafood, right? People trying to get you to, to eat seafood all the time. And the best compliment they can give a fish dish is it doesn't taste like fish. Well, <laughs> can I have a steak? <laughs> so after a disappointing performance, because you're going to have them, right? You must identify and focus on the correction or the solution immediately and i think it's important to quit talking about the bad match um you're very uh your humor is very self i think it's self-defeating is what they call that self-deprecating um, that's what it is self-deprecating humor i would stay away from that um because every time let's just put it this way the things we say about ourselves tend to be true even if they're jokes so I've actually been very, so I, I used to think of myself as, as a phenomenal trainer and a lousy businessman. Well, every time I say lousy businessman, I'm giving myself permission to do and be that. So I don't say that anymore, right? Um, so that, and that's just, just another example. Um, I would say, let's, let's think about and talk about what we're going to do different. And it sounds to me like you had a pretty conscious performance may have overtried. Now, what prevents overtrying? Garrett, is this a question for you? What prevents overtrying? Uh, the first thing that that's gonna that's helped me quite a bit with with overtrying is being confident in my abilities. Mm -hmm. You know, so I, I know that I'm capable of doing anything that this match will require of me, 
And that helps quite a lot. And then obviously managing your conscious thoughts to keep yourself in that present moment yes. is, is what's going to make a big difference because you, you, when I give my mind one conscious thought to focus on, I can't think about anything else that can deter from my performance. Right. And literally all you need to think about is what you need to do right now. If you're thinking beyond that, you're overthinking. Um, and well, what, what a great answer, Garrett. That was phenomenal. Nicely done, bud. Mm, thank you. It's almost what, like he knows what he's talking about. What I was going to say was trust. And he just gave us a much broader description of trust. You know, one of the things Lanny says is an athlete can always overtry, but an athlete can never overtrust. And sounds to me like you may have done more trying than trusting. It's hard to do. And when, when we think of the match as difficult or different, we're already creating an environment where we're going to lose some trust. You know, normally I do really well. However, this match is really different, really technical and really hard. Well, if it's got shotguns and targets, you're pretty good at it, bro. Right. Uh And if there's anything different about it, it's going to be different for everybody there, which probably gives you the edge anyway. Right. So, but, but, but you've got to be more interested in your, in the process than the outcome. And that's hard to do when you want to win. But if you have a thought of wanting to win, say, okay, I want to win. What do I need to do to make that as likely as possible? That's what I need to do. That is an excellent answer, Mr. Anderson. Thanks, bud. We should it's, record that. It's, it, we should, we should <laughs> and then maybe release it to the world. You know, and we, we've been talking about the mental game a bunch, but I, I can help people a lot technically too. Um, I, I don't want to be just a mental guy, you know. Um, we, we, we can get people to do some pretty extraordinary things pretty, pretty quickly. Yeah, I, I think we've all seen that. All three of us have seen that, uh, where people make amazing breakthroughs by just having information presented to them in a slightly different way that they can understand. Well, it also helps that the instructor understands what's happening. Well, and having somebody, I'm sure it's probably why people go to personal trainers. You know what I mean? To find somebody who's going to make you do a hundred setups when you only want to do 30, you know, I'm going to make you do it again, even though you may not want to until we get the result that I know you can get. Uh, It's just so much fun. I love it. Yeah. So Mr. Anderson, when are you joining us in South Africa again? Whenever there's a demand. Um, you know, what I understood, of course, the the lockdown wasn't a good time to come to try to come do it. Um, I will come to South Africa anytime there's enough demand. I I love it there. Oh, and, and, and by the way, this, this, this is a great opportunity. I have a lot of American friends who are terrified of for me when I go to South Africa. <laughs> is it is it more dangerous than you guys are making me believe, or do we just go to the safe spots? Because oh, no, you're never... you're 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 always safe when you're in South Africa because you're surrounded by some of the country's best shooters. Well, that's what I tell them, and then it, it would be just like if somebody wanted to come to Columbus, Ohio. I know where to take them and where not to take them, so that we have the the, the safest experience we can possibly have. And I've mm-hmm. got to assume it's the same thing. Yeah, you know it's. <laughs> If you follow the rules of stupid and don't do stupid things in stupid places with stupid people, you can avoid a lot of it. It's it 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 is a somewhat dangerous place. Um, 
I think for people who've never traveled though, I, and it's generally people who've never traveled who kind of freak out about it the most, there's this perception that it's it's Mogadishu in 1993. Uh, and, and I've had mates come out from the States and, you know, seen a shopping mall here and gone, wow, this is bigger than what we have in my hometown sort of thing. Um, you know, there's this perception that we, we ride lions and, um, <laughs> and we pet do. elephants. Uh, it's, <laughs> you know, I, there, there are places you, you distinctively want to stay away from, uh, yeah. but it's, I've, I've, I've been places in, in, in the States where I looked around and thought this, this, this is as bad as, as some of the worst places that we have here. Uh, I remember catching, I, for some very peculiar reason, catching a train from New York City to Philadelphia. Uh, and some of those those places we went through, I looked at that and thought, I would have paid 10,000 Rand for a tourist city eight revolver right then. Mm. Um, yeah, That's almost 10 bucks, probably. Well, <laughs> at the moment, probably 950. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, if, when you're out here, the, the thing in the most danger is your liver. Um, <laughs> Good one. Good one. I, I just wanted my American friends to 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 hear from you guys that uh, I, I tell them the same thing. I'm surrounded by people who know where to go, where not to go. Everybody's got a gun, um, and and I, I truly believe that uh, not carrying yourself like a victim helps a bunch. You know. Oh yeah. You know, if, if, I've if not, you do, sorry, carry. I was going to say, I've, I've not studied a lot of tactical stuff, a lot of defensive stuff, but I walk into every place in the world like I own the joint, um, just proud and confident. And I, I know that helps a bunch. You know, it, it, people are, are, are very much people. Um, I've, I've seen around the world, I've seen some tourists get into trouble by being ugly Americans or ugly Brits or, or whatever, you know, where they, they kind of go into someone's country and tell them how much better their country is. And no one really wants to, you know, pe people don't react. That's more likely to get you punched in a bar. Um, right. But, uh, you know, it's South, Af South Africans as a general rule are some of the friendliest people you'll meet. Um, you know, For sure. You know, if, if if you go buy something in a store in the States, you'll get that, hi, how are you? Have a nice day. Um, here, the person will often mean it, and and, and that's the difference. Uh, you know, we'll we'll have chats with people in the drive-through and and people in a in a in a in a queue, or I think you call it a line. Um, mm -hmm. South Africans are are generally friendly people. Um, you know, and if most people who come here are like you in that they come here once and they want to come again uh, mm -hmm. because of the experience. I don't know too many people who've, who've come here and gone, I don't want to do it again. So it's right. not perfect. I mean, we, you know, we don't want to be Pollyanna, but I, I wouldn't not come here because of, of strange perceptions about, you know, warlords and district nine. And, you know, we, we keep most <laughs> of that where you won't see it. So it's fine. Uh, <laughs> just, just make sure that when you come out, um, if you're going to wander on your own, make sure that you run it past someone who knows. Yeah, I wouldn't. You're going that. and make I never sure. Never went that anywhere by myself. Yeah. And Albert uh, volunteered to let me ride his motorcycle, and I had very low confidence that I could ride it on the correct side of the road. Uh, <laughs> politely declined. <laughs> You'd fit right in. We, we have public transportation here where the side of the road doesn't matter. 
Yeah. Um, the curb is even fine. So <laughs> you'd fit right in. <laughs> in fact, you might be safer being on the wrong side of the road. <laughs> but, you know, it's, uh, it, there's a lot of fun stuff to do. Oh, now we sound like a tourism thing, but there is, there is a lot of fun to be had here. Um, it's different. Uh, you know, it, it's, if you come here expecting it to be Las Vegas or New York, it's not going to. Um, you know, it's it, it's a different place, and, and things happen at a sometimes happen at a different pace to to what people sometimes expect. Um, but it's you know it's it's a beautiful place. There's 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 a lot to do, uh, and and yeah, if you if you've got a little bit of no, local knowledge, you're almost guaranteed to have a good time. And for the guys interested in 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 the shooting thing, there is a an area champs, the Africa area champs level four EPSEC coming up next year. T? This year. This year. This year. It's this yes. year. Middle of the year. Uh, so there is a level four coming up if you want to come out and shoot a spectacular match and then get to hang out with some people and see some things. Um yeah. I mean, your spot big, now. Yeah, the biggest challenge at the moment is unfortunately the the travel restrictions and, and our South African super Rona. Um yeah. <laughs> Because everything is even is more dangerous, even our coronavirus. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like it's like what what you call African killer bees, we call bees. Um, <laughs> Fact. <laughs> no, and that's weird. It, it, it because because in the states, particularly before I went there, if you want to make something sound scarier than it already is, just call it South African, and people just freak out. Yeah, it's amazing. Mean, don't don't ruin our business opportunities here. You know, I did see some sweet <laughs> South African Camaros that were a lot better than regular Camaros. So there's something going on there. Not Camaros. I'm sorry. El, El Camino. El Camino. El Camino. El Camino. El or as we like to call them, Buckies. Buckies. <laughs> and, and sorry, we have to say this for our, our American listeners as well. Diplomatic immunity. <laughs> has been revoked (laughs) stand on the plastic I'm doing some painting Uh, (laughs) that was like I think we're digressing a bit here Um, Steve We'll obviously mention. We'll we'll make sure that all your uh, your sponsors are are linked in the show notes. Um, you know, it's, it's it's important to us that the guys who support you are, are supported. I mean, obviously, sadly, not all of them are going to be um, available to to locals. But uh, you know, things like the, the the AMG Commander and the and the Hunters HD are, are definitely a thing and. Uh, um, but we'll make sure that we, spot, we we link everyone there for you as well, also for your your international listeners. Um, please, guys, get Steve's books, and and he didn't pay us to say this. I paid for them with my own money. Um, listen to the podcast, uh, and and if you can do the mental management course or, or the other training, but but the mental management was I think it's probably because the most recent one I did with Steve uh, is. It, it will make a, a massive difference if, if you pay attention. Um, so, uh, yeah, um, Gaz? Oh, thank you very much for your time and being on the show and providing all the information and 
talking with us. We do appreciate it. And I'm sure that the listeners will appreciate it. Um, I would also just like to top that off with um, thanking all of our listeners for their continued support and their interaction with us. Um, we hope to continue having you interested in what content we're bringing forward. And as always, a minimum of five stars is, is recommended. Actually, it's a, a minimum of five stars. It's not recommended. It's a minimum of five stars. Thank you. Otherwise, Gaz kicks you out the club. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Steve, thanks very much. We really appreciate the amount of time you gave us. Um, and we no problem, guys. Again soon. It's my pleasure. I appreciate it. Yeah, it was like, hey, would you like to come on a program and talk about how great you are? Yeah, I'd probably make some time for that. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds swell. <laughs> Let me just pencil you right in there. <laughs> All right, guys, have a have a wonderful day, and thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you very much, Steve. Appreciate thanks, it. Steve. Thanks so much, Steve. And on that, later, losers. <laughs>